podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus soon to be members BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm your host, Philip Slavin, as I am every episode of the show. Of course, the 1012 podcast, the flagship show of the 1012 network, the podcast network that loves to cover the Big 12 conference find every show in the network at 1012network.com here we are on a monday and man <laughs> a lot happened last week what a week it was what a week i'm sure we will have news just continues to pour in rumors continue to pour in rumors circulate there's so much going on in college football and the season is hurtling towards us and what's interesting to me is that as as interesting as this week is sure to be, it's not nearly as big as the week after, right? That week after. The first week of August. It's the first week of August. It's, it's our first month where we say college football starts this month. It's a big week, that first week of August, because that is when the exclusive negotiating window between the Pac-12 and ESPN and Fox, primarily ESPN, comes to a close on August 4th. It's going to be a huge week for us here at the 1012 Network, and I'm excited for you to find out why. We will obviously reveal more about that on August 1st. But we're going to talk about this week coming up and the week that happened. The week coming up, I emphasize that first week of August because I think this week's going to feel busy. There's going to feel like a lot of things because, again, a lot of news is going to come out. Some of it will be relevant a week later. Some of it won't. A lot of speculation will continue. That is what happens during conference consolidation season. It's ever-changing, ever-developing, and yet nothing's happened. For all the rumors and information and podcast guests that have come on to every show possible, nothing's actually happened. It's all just speculation. And I'm happy to ride the speculation train all the way to the station. It's a lot of fun. But just remember, this tough takes time. And with the Pac-12 in an exclusive negotiating window with ESPN until August 4th, nothing is going to happen before then. 
Nothing. Nothing will. As far as last week goes, I mean, think about it. Think about the news that came down. The Big 12 and the Pac-12, no merger. It's not happening. It's off the table. That was according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, who initially reported that, and then everybody else followed. Right? Dennis Dodd reported that Notre Dame wants $75 billion from NBC, and the Big 12 or Big 10 could be a partner in helping make that come to fruition. You're going to see stuff about CBS come out. Here's what's most important. Until the Big Ten's TV deals are done and announced, it doesn't matter what everybody says about the Big 12. It doesn't matter because the Big Ten is first. Everybody wants a slice of that pie. Everybody wants a slice of that tier one pie. And if they can't get it, then the Big 12 is on the table. Pac-12 will be on the table potentially too. It's all just rumors. It's all positioning. It's all PR. Now, we are going to talk some conference consolidation here on the podcast. Our good friend, Matt Brown of Extra Points Newsletter, is going to join us. We're going to talk about what goes into the decision-making process as to whether or not to switch conferences. If you're not going to double or triple your TV revenue, if you're going to take a slight bump, a lot of other things suddenly matter that don't matter as much when we're talking $100 million versus 40. So he has some great insight. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about NIL collectives in light of the news of Texas Tech's Matador Club. And it, that is the reason we're talking about it. It's not a direct relation to any issues with the Matador Club, but specifically more NIL collectives. Matt Brown is awesome. He's a fantastic guest, as always. Also today, we're doing another position group ranking. This time, we have the guests. Don't worry, it's not just me. We have two great guests, Joe Broback, Adam Lunt, Joining us today, we're doing defensive back units. That is corners and safeties. It is fantastic. Uh, about that Texas Tech NIL collective, the Matador Club. Look, at this point, I think you all know what was down with the emojis, the cactus emojis that overloaded Twitter last week. If you're not, I'll sum it up real quick for you if you didn't know. Started with the Matador Club announcement. Of course, Texas Tech has signed 100 football players. That includes 15 walk-ons. Uh, to $25,000 a year contracts. It's freaking awesome. TC's recruiting director, Brian Carrington, decided to start kind of subtweeting Texas Tech. Y'all really got to stop romanticizing what appears to be unique NIL deals, he said on Twitter. While they wave what appears to be a big number, I urge you to ask these schools to quantify your brand potential as an individual entity separate from the university in the same market. He went on to include... Uh, who would want to build their brand in the desert and use the cactus emoji? Texas Tech fans doing what they do grabbed that cactus emoji and ran with it. And not just Texas Tech as fans, the university, football coaches, social media. Uh, the cactus has now become almost the secondary uh, logo, mascot, if you will. And man, if they have a cactus mascot at Texas Tech football games, all I know is this. <laughs> this offseason... Uh, Texas Tech like confirmed tortilla throwing, so that's a thing. Uh, they embraced the cactus emoji, that's a thing. TCU Texas Tech November 9th, that's all I'm going to say is that. I cannot wait for it. I cannot wait for it. As I mentioned, Matt Brown is going to join us in a bit. There is one thing that he and I talked about before we recorded that I wanted to talk about with you. and It's, it's more just an airing of, of a thought that I've been working through for for a little while, a few weeks. 
Big 12 fans are salty on social media, especially at national media, especially at national media who work for The Athletic. I think that's the the media group that they are most angry with, and especially some podcasters who are there, and also one ESPN reporter in particular who tried to help the AAC seemingly raid the Big 12. It's not that national sports media is lamenting what is potentially about to happen to Oregon State, Washington State, and other Pac-12 schools. That's not why Big 12 fans are mad. It seems that way. It seems like we're angry about that. Look, I hate this for them. Oregon State and Washington State, I don't have any reason to dislike those fan bases. As an Oklahoma State fan, I feel a kindred spirit to Oregon State. Orange and black, second tier program in your state, led by a former star quarterback who's Made your offense a lot of fun and starting to build something special at your university. Sounds awful familiar. I have nothing wrong with Washington State. I don't blame them for the issues with the last head coach. I hate this for any program or any fan base that has to get through it. Just like I hated it for the Big 12 teams last year. What Big 12 fans are mad about is not that national media is sad for the Pac-12. It's that last year, instead of vocalizing how much it sucked for Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, national media was too interested in coming up with clever names like Hateful Aid or Vengeful Aid or Forgotten Aid. Ha <laughs> ha. Look how clever we are. I'm not mad that national media is sad for Pac-12 schools. I'm pissed. I'm pissed that casual, flippant comments were the best they could come up with with the Big 12 teams that remained last year. And I don't care about the history of the Big 12 or the history of the Pac-12. I don't give a rat's ass. I care about the teams who are left to pick up the pieces. I care about the fan bases that have to deal with this and live with this. But the conversation is about the conference, the conference, the conference. I don't care about the conference. The Big 12 teams weren't mad about how you talked about the conference. They're mad about how you talked about the teams and the fan bases. Tone is everything. It's not always what you say, but how you say it. National media members can say they were sad, but it was never expressed in the same way that it is now. Now, whether that's more to do with the sinking in of the reality of where college athletics is going from an idea that bloggers and podcasters like to talk about all the time a decade ago to the harsh reality of so many schools being left in the cold of whatever this future of college football is going to be, or they're just enjoying the download numbers and clicks too much to have actual sympathy. I don't know, but you cannot be shocked or upset that Big 12 fans are salty right now and happy to come after you. And I know that many national media, who do not listen to this show, but I don't care, misinterpret this. I really think they do. They misinterpret why Big 12 fans are angry. And I think in some cases, some Big 12 fans don't actually know what it is that they're angry about. It's simple. We just want the same respect you're showing the schools that are going through this now to have been shown to us last year. Leave the conference history crap aside. I don't care about any of that. Well, this conference was put together. Shut up. I don't care who's formed in the 30s. I don't care about the conference. I care about the teams. I care about the teams. The players, the fan bases. Hell, the employees at universities are going to have to go through some major harsh realities when that day comes. That's what I care about. I care about the teams. And I think deep down, all of you do too. So I'll ask you to do the thing I asked many on Twitter who laughed at me about it. Some agreed. You can... Feel your owed, Big 12 fans, some opportunity to laugh and scoff and, and tell all these big Pac-12 schools why they should join us because 
they're all doomed. You can enjoy this mountaintop you're sitting on feeling great at the moment because you feel in a position of power, but remember how you felt when you were not. And I get it. It's hard when you feel like you're in the driver's seat atop the mountaintop for the first time in years to want to take that opportunity and take everything you can from it. We're talking about college sports and college fans. I don't expect you to be reasonable. Fans is short for fanatics. But I will ask you to do this. Remember where you were. Remember how you felt. Remember what you did not like. And pay that same respect to those fan base. They trashed? I don't care. Because if you think this is the end of it and the last time you're going to be sitting in a bad spot and it's not all going to keep coming around again over and over and over again, do yourself a favor. Act with kindness, compassion, and empathy because every fallen kingdom was atop the world at some point. They're all gone now. It's not a terrible way to live. Kindness, empathy, caring about how others are feeling, what they're going through, especially when it's something you've been through. The idea that because you had some hardship in life that other people should have to experience that as well is one I will never grasp or understand. I wouldn't want anybody in the world to have to go through anything that in my life I would view as the worst of times. I don't wish that on anyone. Neither should you. Because that ain't it, folks. That ain't it. All right. We're getting a little bit too far outside of uh, sports here, so let's pull this, rein this back in. Matt Brown, as I mentioned, coming up. Position grip rankings. Defensive backs coming up. Excited for both of those. Next week's a big week. A big week here for the 1012 Network. Next week, next week, starting August 1st, you're not going to want to miss the August 1st show. You are not going to want to miss next week's episode. You, I'm glad you're here for this one because it's a doozy. It's long, but it's good. It's real good. Uh, before we get to that a little uh, podcasting business, Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever wear. Every Big 12 school is on there now, folks. Every single Big 12 school is now available on Homefield Apparel. All of them. All 14. 14. Every school that's going to be in this conference in 2023, the 2023 season, they're there. And you can get 15% off your first order on every single amazing shirt with the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2. So if you're a TCU fan, Texas Tech fan, OU fan, Oklahoma State, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, Texas, Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech, UCF, West Virginia, and if I forgot one, I'm sorry. Promo code NETWORK12, 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever own, you will ever want, you will ever need this college football season. All right, three great guests, two fantastic interviews. I've held you up long enough. Let's get to it. So obviously, conference consolidation, as we refer to it here, is is ever-changing, ever-moving, and rumors are left, right, and sideways. But I wanted to have a conversation today that felt a little more concrete, no matter what decisions are made by what schools. I think it's important to talk about 
what things go into those decisions before they are made. Because obviously TV money is the talking point and football is the is the sport we're all focused on. But there are other things schools have to consider uh, when deciding to switch conferences. So I'm very excited to bring somebody on who is very well versed in conference realignment and consolidation. Now, a lot of it is at the FCS and D2 level, but I do think even though those are vastly different than FBS, even to P5 and G5, there is a lot that translates across all of sports here. So very excited to have the publisher and owner of Extra Points, a uh, a subscription that I personally have and pay for myself. Matt Brown, Matt, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Um, obviously, the, the conversation we're seeing a lot from the Big 12 side, Big 12 fan sides, we're talking yeah. about this is, you know, okay, the, the Pac-12 is in this tough situation. Obviously, they're negotiating with with ESPN, that window remains open until August 4th. We don't know what that offer from ESPN is going to be, if they're going to sign a deal, or if they're going to go out to market. Um, and the conversation's about money. You know, USC and UCLA are leaving for the Big Ten where we're, they're going to make vast, vast yeah. sums of money compared to what they were. Same thing for Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC in that decision last year. Um, and there's a big difference between more than doubling your your revenue from TV and seeing a 25 to 30% bump, right? Which I think is a big thing. People are kind of, I, I look, when it comes to yeah. millions of dollars, people have a hard time with how much that actually is um, in yeah. relation to sports and have a hard time with how much things actually cost. Um, so I don't want to talk about that so much today. It is obviously a factor. What I'm more interested in is, what are the other things that play into whether or not a school decides to switch conferences? Uh, because these are not decisions made by athletic directors or football coaches or fans or boosters. These They may be able to have a, a voice at the table, but university presidents, school boards, school chancellors, those are the ones who are making the decisions as to whether or not a school changes a conference affiliation. So i uh, we can break these down one by one if you want, but just if you were to talk about some of the other things that, that schools consider and and weigh on the decision as to whether or not they want to switch which conference they're affiliated with. Sure. No, it, it, it's a great point. And we just can't emphasize that last part of what you said enough that coaches and even to to some extent, even athletic directors are not the people that are driving these decisions. They're not the ones that ultimately have the final say. Your AD is generally very involved. It is unusual for a school to make a decision that their sitting AD really opposes for, for realignment, but it's really about presidents. So um, a, a major factor, and this is different from school to school and conference to conference, but a, a, typically a very significant factor is institutional fit. And that can mean different things to, to different schools, but very broadly, it, universities want to athletically affiliate with schools that have lots in common with them. And sometimes that means by school type, whether that's public school versus private school, whether that's similar budgets, similar levels of academic selectivity, um, the, whether you're looking at secular institutions versus ecclesiastical institutions versus uh, uh, you know, other kinds of private schools. You know, I, I remember talking to, I've, I've used this example on the air a lot, but I was talking with a, a staffer at the Patriot League you know, a year and a half ago, and I, I made some kind of offhanded remark like, oh, it must be really easy you know, as you're figuring things out because your league is so similar. Everyone's within a bus ride of each other. They're all very selective institutions. Nobody's trying to join the SEC. You know, you know that there's a, there's a lot of truth to that. But then when we sit down for a president's meeting, we, we're going to have somebody like a, a general, you know, from a, from a service academy. We might have a Jesuit priest. 
We might have a, a secular university administrator for a long time, and they're all coming in with very different perspectives. So if a school has an opportunity to affiliate with similar institutions, often, I mean, like, and if they're not going to really financially competitively damage themselves, that's often what they want to do. At the P5 level, historically, that idea of institutional fit has carried a lot of currency with administrators in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And I understand why some fans think this is irrelevant or it's elitist or it doesn't make sense. And I would say, damn, there's not all of those criticisms are wrong. But I, I mean, and I'm not saying I agree with them. I'm just saying as a reporter, I know that people at Stanford and Cal and Washington care about being able to say, these are our peers. We are like these schools. We are uh, you know, secular. We are research oriented. Most of us are very selective. We, are, we, are, we are, have this R1 designation, right? And so you're trying to affiliate with schools like that. Other leagues like the American Athletic and to some extent, the modern Big 12, don't share that. And, and sometimes it's because, hey, what we think is more important is how we fit together athletically, or we don't have the luxury to have institutional fit. You know, it's different for every league. I can tell you but the West Coast Conference, for example, mid-major basketball league, cares about this a great deal and would turn down schools that would help them athletically because they don't fit this institutional profile. The Western Athletic Conference doesn't care about this as much. Um, and and part, sorry, part of that is because they can't afford to. And part of that is because their philosophy is different. But when you're, when you're evaluating that fit institutionally is a major factor. The other, I think, important thing for people to realize is that money is a huge factor, but money is more than just broadcast television. Joining conferences also increases or changes costs. Does changing, going into this league change the way that our conference distribution is set up? Do we need to increase our spending because the median athletic budget among our new peers is different? Do we need to change what sports we sponsor, either by dropping sports or adding sports or pursuing affiliate memberships, which might increase costs for other sports? What will our travel costs look like? Will we need to pay travel subsidies to get people to come here? Um, will it impact our ability to raise money? Are we going to be in places not just where we are recruiting athletes, but where we are recruiting students? where we have alumni, where we can uh, have development events. Like I, I was literally just talking to an AD at the division two level who is considering a, a conference change in part because they can't set up any kind of alumni engagement or alumni development events because where their graduates live are not where they're competing athletically. They're like, there's no TV money in division two, but this is a chance to hit up people for, for donations, which go outside the athletic department. And that's mission critical for us. So it, it will vary a little bit here from league to league, from school to school, but those are some of the factors that, that everybody has to consider, at least on some level. And that all makes sense. I, I think of it when you consider a job and everyone has different priorities when they look for jobs. Some cases you just have to go where you're going to make money to eat meat, make ends meet, right? Um, but I always think of, and we've, we've made this comp, like one of the reasons I'm at the job I'm at is could I go somewhere else and make more money? I could. Um, but I love the fit where I'm at. I enjoy the people that I work with. It makes my my day-to-day -day job better. And making more money might mean more travel, more time in the car, less time with the family. There's a lot of things yep. when making these decisions that, that go into it beyond just the dollars. Now, a lot of those things can be negated when we're talking about going from $40 million a year to more than $100 million a year. But, yep. but they play more of a factor when we're talking about significantly smaller increases. Right. We're, as opposed to more than doubling your, your annual salary, you're only getting a 15% or 20% bump, which 
could be the thing that makes you make that decision. But if we're talking, I mean, it's the comp of uprooting your family and moving to a new city where you may not know everybody, where you don't have those pre-real and pre-established relationships. And a lot of things are very different. So when when you have to make those moves or when you're desperate to make those moves, like the, like Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, looking for that opportunity, it's it's easier for them to do so than for a, a power five peer, a team in another conference that's viewed similar to yours to, to transition from one to the other. So like I have, all these things play into it. You talked about alumni, you talked about students. I, th- I think that's the thing that doesn't get talked about enough uh, is recruiting and not just recruiting athletes, but recruiting students. I think those were a lot of the things that played into Colorado moving to the Pac-12 when they did a little over a decade ago. Uh, so let's look at the four corner schools as, as they're being referred to, referred to as the two Arizonas, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. Those are the schools that seem to be linked to the Big 12, potentially joining the most. Looking at those four schools, outside of the Pac-12 falling apart and they just need to find a landing spot, why might they view the Big 12 as, as a place they want to be or or why would they view the Big 12? We know that the academic side is a big thing. We don't have the AAU. They're not all research facilities. But from from a school perspective, why might some of those schools look at the Big 12 and say, this is a potential place for us and here are the benefits to that? This is a great question, and I, I honestly suspect that this has become conventional wisdom in a way that the data doesn't really support. The single biggest reason, which you had alluded to, is um, because those four schools no longer believe in the long-term stability or trajectory or alignment within the rest of the, of, of the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it is that we're calling it, right? If it's, hey, if we have to backfill to the Mountain West, that undermines the core value proposition of the Pac-12, which is part of why we signed up in the first place, because we think Oregon or Washington are not going to stay for very long, which will impact our ability to raise money or do things for X, Y, or Z. I don't know, like capital you know, K, know here that the Big 12 will be able to offer substantially more money, either broadcast-wise, MMR-wise, period, than what the Pac-10 can offer if they still have Oregon and Washington. Um, I've seen the same Navigate numbers everybody else on the internet has seen. And quite, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you guys, I talked to the people that did that study back in March and I've talked to other people in the TV industry. They're like, I got a lot of questions about this. Like the, the trajectory is correct. The exact numbers probably overinflated for, for some of these institutions. In terms of like athlete or student recruitment, you're right, this, this is a little bit of a challenge. Like I'm literally looking this up on LinkedIn right now. Like the the place where Colorado alumni live the most outside of Colorado is California. They, you know, you, you have you have some in some of these major Midwestern cities. It's pretty common for large state universities to have people in Chicago and New York and these other places. But um, ideologically and academically, like that school hits the West Coast a, a, a little bit more. Um, the, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to literally do this. This is very compelling, like live right. I'm just going to double check right now with, with Arizona. Um, I want to say that's, it's relatively similar. We, we, we can double check, but yeah, same thing up here, like outside of the state of Arizona, number one place where Arizona alumni live are in California. Um, and, and specifically in like the greater, I mean, part of that is specifically in the greater Los Angeles area, but, but throughout the entire state, um, there, if, if, for example, one of these schools believed institutionally, it's way more important for us to have a bigger presence in Texas or in Kansas City or nationally, the Big 12 might make some more sense. 
I don't think that's what the data shows right now. And I say think, not like absolutely not, or you know, all these Texas Tech fans are full of baloney or something, or this is all fake news. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, as, as a reporter on this beat, I don't think I have enough information, reported or otherwise, to say this is definitely the case. Yeah, and that, that was really a big part of what led me to this, is I had seen some mention of Arizona, Arizona State, potentially seeing the value in trying to recruit the state of Texas more, right? Um, part of it being proximity. There's tons and tons and tons of, of people living in the state of Texas, uh, and, and building an alumni base there would, would be valuable. Um, but I hadn't seen any, like, I'd seen speculation, but I hadn't seen anybody report it. I hadn't seen any data to back it up. And it sounds nice when you hear it. And it sounds like, yeah, wh- why wouldn't people want to get more students from the state of Texas? But, you know, some, just because something sounds nice, does, nice doesn't mean it's it's the reality. So, again, we're talking about schools leaving essentially relationships they've been in for a long period of time, um, having less annual athletic access to where their alumni base is associated. This This plays into why despite what people may say, it's not as easy as just like, yeah, let's just go. It's just, let's head off to the big 12. This is going to be better for us in the long run. Yeah. And, and it all comes with opportunity costs and it has to be a university wide commitment. Anybody joining the big 12 tomorrow will not in and of itself direct significant students from DFW or Houston to re- enroll in that school. If it is joined by a campus-wide marketing and publicity and recruitment effort, and they start sending a bunch of reps to the high schools in those places, and they buy billboards, and it's a unified thing, then it could. That isn't always the case. And that's a question that's much bigger than just the athletic department. Yeah, agreed. Matt, I've run out of questions here, and you've provided excellent answers. But there is one other thing I want to talk to you about since you're here. Uh, Obviously, Texas Tech fans have been all over Twitter, uh, for those who've seen the cactus emoji. Uh, We've talked about that a little bit. Uh, But you did get into a discussion with some some Twitter fans, or some Texas Tech fans on Twitter, about the Matador Club, their new NIL collective that's uh, basically giving... 100 football players, $25,000 a year, or 2,500, 25,000. Point is, yeah, I think it's 25,000. It's it's 25,000, uh, which I believe is the largest promise to cross the football that I've, I've seen from anybody do. I know Miami's had something similar, but got into an interesting debate with Texas Tech fans about it. And I think Texas Tech fans got a little like, why are people coming after us for ours if you didn't go after other schools for theirs? And I think the reality is, you just didn't notice people go after Miami and other schools for theirs because you're not paying attention to what people are saying about it more so than you are yours. But I, can you kind of talk about these collectives? Um, they, I know they're legal, but man, and I'm not going to tell any school, as long as they're allowed, if that's what you want to go do, that's fine. And this is not in any way, shape, form an anti-pay the kids argument whatsoever. I'm, I'm all for the kids being able to get what they can uh, while they can. Props to you. But can you kind of speak to some of the issues you were raising about collectives as a whole? Sure. So what I can say here is like my personal, um, mis- not what's the right word I'm looking for here? My, my, my frustration, my concern about this is not that a collective is paying an athlete. That I, I don't think that's, that's an ethical problem. The concern there is whether the athlete actually gets the money, like the idea that the tech or Texas or anybody is guaranteeing X amount of money for a recruit. Like, I'm not here to complain about that. I'm not an amateurism believer. Um, what I, my concern here is that these groups and Texas Tech is not the first or the only to do this are claiming that they are 501c3s. 
And then that the money that is that they are raising from other boosters to give to those athletes is charitable and therefore that people can write it off on their taxes. That's tax fraud. And that's not just me saying this. This is what I have been told from numerous uh, professors that study nonprofit law. I have heard this from many CPAs. I have heard this uh, from attorneys that are involved in the space saying like, not only is this not likely to stand up to IRS scrutiny, it's also not really a good idea operationally because 501c3s have much stricter reporting requirements, which will also require them to publicize lots of the individual deals that they're doing with athletes, which an LLC does not have to do. And most small donors giving to one of these groups are taking the standard deduction. They're not really benefiting from the tax anyway. Um, this is what I am criticizing this. I'm not using this to dunk on Texas Tech. Any Big 12 fan that, that is confused about that should know. I uh, grew up in Columbus. I went to Ohio State. I spent an entire newsletter literally just ripping Ohio State's collective for doing this because I think it's really unethical. The, the challenge here, though, is the only entity that can really do anything about it is the IRS. Many of these groups that are saying that they're 501c3s right now actually are not. States cannot grant that status. They can, they can grant nonprofit status. 501c3 just comes from the federal government. There's an enormous backlog. To the best of my knowledge, only a tiny handful of collectives have actually gotten that. And it's no guarantee that they'll be able to recertify uh, at that status. But just like with the NCAA, it might take two or three years or longer for anybody in Washington to bother asking for receipts or following up. And I think a lot of these collective donors and managers have decided, I like those odds. Because even if you ding me, I'm probably not going to go to jail. I'll just lose my nonprofit status. And if I can do this now to go get the recruit that I need and we can win for three years, I'll take my chances. Um, that's not what I would do, but it's not my money. And it's, you know, it's not my relationship here. So, so that, that is my concern. And that is something that not just Texas Tech is doing. That's at Ohio State. That's at Notre Dame. That's at Iowa. That's at, at several other institutions. I don't think it is ethical anywhere. Okay. So outside of the ethical issue, is there concern for student athletes who are participating in this down long-term? No, I mean, in, in the event that say somebody at the IRS looks at the receipts and looks at the case law and says, by God, Matt Brown is right. The law is very clear about this. This is not actually a charity. Paying somebody seven times their market worth to be able to speak at an event is not charitable. I am revoking the, the 501c3 designation. That is a problem for the collective manager. That might be a problem for any of the big donors who are trying to you know, get at the lower their taxable income. That wouldn't be an issue for the athletes. They would not be exposed to like criminal liability or anything. Um, their risk would only be insofar as the NCAA or maybe the state of Texas decides to enforce any of their state laws, which is pretty unlikely. But like, no one's going to be hauled off to crude jail because their collective lied about being a charity. Now, there's some other individual exposure that some of these athletes could get in big trouble for. The most obvious one is their own tax liability. If you're being paid by a charity, whether that's a real charity or a charity, that income is still very taxable. And you need to be reporting that and you need to be, and you need to be setting aside money for it. Even if you're getting non-cash assets, I, I am convinced we are going to hear some stories in the next couple of months once the IRS cleans up that backlog of athletes that took that $55,000 truck and did not realize that that meant that that was a taxable asset and they had to set aside some cash for it and they're going to be in big trouble. That can get you in, in hot water. Not so much the 501c3 stuff. Yeah. Uh, everyone was in such a hurry to get all the NIL stuff set up and ready to go that I, I, I am worried about the student athletes. I'm happy this is going their way. I hope that they're being taken care of by 
some adults or agents who, who are doing this the right way. Um, there will be some who aren't. And I'm, I'm very worried for them. I feel like the people who actually should be getting in trouble are going to be just fine. And the kids are somehow still going to be end up, still end up holding the short end of the stick at the end of all of this. That seems to be how it goes more often than not. Uh, Matt, Man, you are awesome. I appreciate it. As I mentioned, I am a paid subscriber to uh, Extra Points Newsletter. That is not why you came on. You were just gracious enough to, to give us some of your time today. Uh, but please, plug the newsletter, man. It is, it is fantastic. It's my, it's my pleasure, folks. If you're interested in off-the-field coverage of what shapes college athletics, the original reporting, unique analysis, whether that's the EA Sports College football video game, whether that's NIL, conference realignment, changing NCAA policy, travel logistics, any of that stuff, you can find it at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, also a host of the uh, Going for Two podcast. And uh, as far as the newsletter goes, folks, if you're curious what kind of sound effects and music your school might be uh, sending off to EA for the college football video game revival, uh, Matt is getting an updated list constantly of that. I know UCF is one of the schools he's gotten information from. It's kind of neat. It's a weird yeah. thing to care about, but I find it very, very interesting. Uh, so I would subscribe. Uh, there is a, a non-paid version if you guys want to do so, but I, I would put get that in your uh, in your email inbox on the regular. It's it's absolutely worth it, even if you don't read every one, which I'll admit I don't, but I read most of them. Matt, again, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it, sir. Hey, it's my pleasure. Take care, y'all. Are you a parent listening to this podcast with a child at home, either in middle school or high school, but already thinking about college planning, scholarships, or dreaming of them playing sports in college? Do you know? a high school or middle school athlete who wants to go and play in college, whether it's D1, D2, D3, or just they're not even sure they just want to keep playing during college. Well, let us introduce you to one of our friends of the podcast and a company who is an expert in the world of college recruiting, Recruit Route. Led by our friend Brian Bedford, a 25-year veteran of recruiting and former D1 recruiting director, Recruit Route offers a full suite of offerings to help student athletes, parents, and high school coaches be better educated and empowered to successfully navigate the college recruiting process. Check out our friends at recruit-route.com. That's recruit-route.com. Don't forget, run your route in recruiting with Recruit Route. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course, the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss each week on the Cyclone Family podcast. All right. Hopefully this time... By the end of this, I have both of our two guests' audio so that you can actually hear why they are ranking the teams where they are in our position group rankings. We don't have a repeat of last week where it's just me telling you what they said kind of verbatim, kind of as best I can, and then my audio. So uh, hopefully this is done correctly or I'm just going to shut this thing down for a few weeks and take a nap. Uh, joining us today for our defensive back rankings, that's what we are doing. That is a combination of corners and safeties. Uh, and if you want to throw in linebackers, you're welcome to in pass coverage, but we'll mostly focus on CBs and, and, and safeties. Uh, two return guests, thrilled to have them both. One, the author of uh, one of my favorite college football preview magazines. It is one of the things that I use when I set up my rankings episodes. That is, of course, Joe Broback. Joe, welcome back to the show, man. I'm glad to be back. I'm excited to talk about a list that I we've talked about is probably ever changing, might change as we go along here. 
I can't promise that the list I have right now is the list that I will end up with at the end of this recording. Uh, of course, we write them all down, and I will, I'll average them out as I always do and post that on social. Also joining us, man, it's so nice to have him back on the show. Uh, it's nice to hear his voice ever since his podcast went off the air. Uh, Mr. Tape Doesn't Lie himself, Adam Lunt. Adam, welcome back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, good to get back on a podcast and uh, you know dust off the old uh, the old microphone, talk some college football. Like I mentioned earlier, it's the slums of uh, slums of July. So I'll talk, I'll talk crazy defensive back rankings with just about anyone, especially you, you two guys. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. Uh, when we do these, I always have like a list of guests I want to get. And uh, so typically, if you've listened to this for a couple of years now, uh, there's some repeat guests, but there's a reason that they're repeat guests. It's because they, they, they know what they're talking about and they do a good job. And I trust their planning and research far more than I trust my own. So I let them do most of the heavy lifting because especially this year with a two month old, I'm just going to keep using my children as an excuse for my inadequacies for um, until they're 18 and out of the house. So I've got, I mean, really, it's like a reset with a third one. I've got 18 years now. Uh, okay. So we are doing defensive backfields. That's how we were ranking them. That is a combination of corners and safeties. Uh, we just start at number one, as we always do, which usually when number one's not too exciting, it's a consensus. I get the feeling it won't be today. Uh, Joe, since you are the, the man who writes and publishes a college football preview magazine, I'm going to let you come out the gate at number one here. Who do you have at the top of your list, sir? Oh, man, what an honor. Um well, I'm just going to start with Oklahoma. I will say that I'm glad that Bookie is gone because I was so sick of all the, un, you know, the unforgivable, ridiculous penalties for no reason and the talking trash and not backing it up. So I'm just I'm just happy that there's some consistency on that backside. Uh, I just really like the combination of the talent they have returning and Brent Venables. I think that's just a, a great combination. The corners really intrigue me. Uh, Key Lawrence. Woody Washington are just two to start. I, I really like what they can do in terms of their talent. And I, I, like I said, Venables coming in just is something that obviously we don't know exactly what we're going to get, but we've seen what he's done at Clemson and you pair that with the talent at Oklahoma. Um, and I, I, that's really exciting. Uh, now Billy Bowman looks like he is becoming a bodybuilder with, from what I've seen on social media, he's just absolutely jacked. Now, whether or not that translates to the field, I don't really know, but I just think they have so much talent, so much depth, and they have a coach that knows how to, how to coach a defense and how to create an elite defense. So I just I didn't really see anybody that could compete with that. I'm going to go with Kansas State. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, this is an incredibly hard list to, to compile. Uh, lots of incomplete units. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I'll be honest. So Julius Brintz is the guy that intrigues the hell out of me because – one six four cornerback is like what everyone dreams of, but I think you know, and I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say his name and I'm gonna totally butcher it, but it's gonna be fun anyways. Ecow Boye Doe, I think is how he's. I don't know, I probably butchered it. Nonetheless, he's. I remember him specifically like locking down one side of the field. He was the guy. He reminds me of like, uh, uh, like, like from Oklahoma State, like Rodarius Williams two years ago, where like he didn't put it up any stats because no one threw to his side of the field. And uh, I think when you have two solid cornerbacks, you can have average safeties and still be a really, really good secondary. Um, so I think I'm more inclined to go towards the, like the really, really top end subgroup of the the bigger group. 
um, as as the top unit. And I feel an uh, uh, interesting person to keep an eye on is um, Sean Robinson. Some Big 12 fans may remember him from the former TCU quarterback that transferred in. Apparently he moved to safety and played in Missouri last year. Uh, I thought he was still cornerback. So I learned something. Uh, I, I don't know if he's any good, but just I'm interested to watch him play safety. So I'll, I'll roll with K-State as my number one unit. Yeah, he was playing safety at Missouri for a couple of years, as far as I, re- as, I guess. As I, I guess I'm lacking on SEC East uh, uh, depth charts, so uh, <laughs> I'm guilty as charged there. So. You don't you don't follow every former TCU player who transfers, Adam? Come on, that would be a full time job. There's a lot of quarterbacks that transferred from TCU, so uh, no, I do not, unfortunately, <laughs> for this for the listeners. Okay, uh, <clears throat> all right. Uh, Joe, you and I are in agreement here. I have Oklahoma at number one as well. You made really good points on Woody Washington and Key Lawrence. Uh, Justin Broyles, who I thought was pretty solid last year, getting bumped back. I think he probably ends up what uh, behind Bowman. If if you're telling me the guy who started last year and played fairly well is now a backup, that tells me that your depth is really good. Um, I also really like the addition of transfer corner CJ Colden from Wyoming. Um, I think I really like OU's depth. I really like that they have two guys that I like in Woody Washington and Key Lawrence. Um, another transfer I forgot to mention, Trey Morrison, who came over from North Carolina. Obviously, Venables uh, played against, you know, as a team at Clemson, coached against him, has seen him quite a few times, very familiar with him, and brought him over for a reason. I believe he's supposed to be a play at nickel. Uh, he's, he's, he's rated pretty well, in, or he's rated well in coverage, not as good at run blocking, luckily at nickel. You can just sit out there and and stay in coverage. I like this unit as a whole, and they have two really strong pieces. Um, I think most of my early ones are based off of you've got a couple of strong pieces or a really strong piece and then a nice bit of of depth. Uh, And I think that's what Oklahoma brings to the table this year. Okay, so at number two, Joe, who do you have, sir? So this is where uh, TCU comes in for me. And I think it's just I I have a little bit too much love for uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. I just really like his game. Uh, he's one of, you know, Adam mentioned before, when you have good corners, then you're usually pretty good, even if you have average safety play. Um, we kind of talked about this before the show, but Noah Daniels is a guy I think a lot of people were in love with going into the 2021 season, uh, but obviously just can't stay on the field. So if he stays on the field and he is what everybody thinks he is, then, you know, I really like what they have kind of on the back end. Um, but yeah, this is one of those, I really like them and that might've, you know, influenced my rankings, but I just think they have so much talent. And then when they're firing on all cylinders, uh, they're, they're a really good group. Uh, I have Texas. Uh, Texas is back. Apparently. Uh, I want to, I want to jump off a bridge now for saying that. Um, (laughs) I I think, so I I guess, I guess all of my, uh, apparently I like tall, tall defensive backs. I'm influenced. I'm, I'm uh, easily swayed by that, but uh, certainly interested in Ryan Watts transfer from Ohio state, six, three, six, three and a half. Uh, again, super tall for a bound. Like I think when you can get super tall cornerbacks that you can lay out in the boundary, cause you know, all big 12 teams like to play with those hashes and, and play the wide side of the field. And then when you've got a rangy cornerback, that you can sit out there and just like just set it and forget it. I think that's a that's a pretty huge uh, advantage. And then you've got a guy on the other side who's Deshaun Jameson, who we're a little bit more familiar with. It's more of like a, a traditional twitchy defensive back 
that has a lot of experience. Um, this, again, I mean, very similar to, to Kansas State. Their safety room is insane. They've, they have like five safeties. They've all moved positions. They all used to be linebackers or nickelbacks or cornerbacks. They're all playing a different position now. Um, so I, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but I think if you look at the upside on some of the players they have, they do have Anthony, uh, Anthony Cook coming back uh, uh, as, a, as a returning safety, as a returning starter at safety that, uh, that I certainly like. But just the upside, I think, of those two corners with a little bit of experience and versatility at safety, I think, is good enough. Uh, for them to be at number two, which again, I'll reiterate that, you know, there's like a razor thin amount of separation between maybe even the top seven, six or seven. So anyways, I'll roll with the, the, the horns, number two. Okay. Joe, we got to quit doing this. I have TCU at number two as well. Like I, I agree on the issue of Noah Daniels. I don't know. Did you say that before we recorded? I don't remember. No, I'm tired. Uh, I think Adam mentioned it before. Okay. So obviously Travis Hodge, Tomlinson, um, you guys case. are going to love where I have TCU, by the way. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode. I can I can already tell. Uh, look, I think he's one of the best corners in the Big 12. I think he's going to play really well. Obviously, Noah Daniels is talented. There's no question there, but there is issues of injury. Then bringing in Josh Newton from Louisiana Monroe, which is a guy that a lot of people wanted. Now I feel like you have three guys. So even if you have issues with Daniels, I like Newton a lot. I think you're going to be able to have Daniel should be at least play a couple of games and give Newton some time to acclimate. You bring in Colorado transfer Mark Perry for safety. I think that helps a unit that needed a little bit of help. Um, you get experience at safety as well with Nick Bradford and Josh Foster. Like I, I like TCU. I like the, ta- here's the thing with Gary, like they had obvious issues, but the talent was far from bare when he left. Like TCU continued to recruit really, really well. They recruited really well on the defensive side of the ball. And I think they recruited really well in the defensive backfield. So, like, I, I think that new defensive coordinator who came from Tulsa, whose name completely escapes me right now, I think he's got plenty to work with. I really like this unit. I have them at number two. Okay, Joe, number three, who do you got? Uh, so, I, you know, I could I could have joined Adam. I kind of went back and forth on who I wanted at two, at three. Um, and I have Texas third, kind of for everything what Adam said, just – you know, Deshaun Jameson is that familiar face, that, that steady presence that we've seen. Uh, I'm really, all, I'm also excited to see what Ryan Watts can do. Uh, and then there's, yeah, it just, when you've, I think that Texas has been recruiting so well and we're just waiting for it to translate to the field. And if they're able to actually figure, find a way to do that, then this group is going to be exciting. Obviously we believe that the offense is going to score a ton of points, but uh, I think one thing that you'll benefit from that is because their receivers are so talented, your DBs are going to get some work in practice. And so you're going to see you know, your practices almost will be more difficult than some of the games that you're going to play. And I think that your DBs will, you know, it's either sink or swim with the talent that the Texas has. I think that it's, it's going to be a team that swims and I'm just I'm excited to see how they kind of bounce back and really rise up in the Big 12 this year. Uh, I got Oklahoma State, um, and I, I, that may be a surprise, uh, but I do think um, you know it's kind of an interesting unit because you lose you know your top two corners. I mean, you basically lose uh, your Nickelback, your uh, what your top three, two or three safeties. Um, so there's a lot of uh, a lot out the door. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I probably don't think it's, it's a huge, 
uh, reach to say that Jason Taylor's, you know, a top two or three safety in the league, uh, if not better. Um, and then if you go down the list, I mean, go back to the bowl game in 2020. Um, Brevin Jordan, NFL tight end. Uh, who's the guy that was making plays at the end of the game uh, in the bowl game? It was Thomas Harper. Uh, you know, so these, these guys have a lot of reps. Who is the, who is the cornerback that made some of the key defensive, uh, uh, deflections against Notre Dame in the bowl game? You know, it was Corey Black. It was Jabbar, uh, go back to the Bedlam game on third down where God, they almost scored in the left corner of the end zone. Who was the cornerback that made the play? It was Corey Black, you know, so, uh, they're not returning starters. There's a lot of snaps underneath these players. And then really what I want to focus on the most is Kendall Daniels, who I think is probably the most exciting player that Oklahoma state has had in 15 years or something like that. Um, legitimate six, four, 210 NFL, like first round caliber uh, safety, who I think, you know, should thrive with Derek Mason coming in, who's a defensive back specialist. Um, I just think that there's a, there's a ton of experience there. They'll be fine at cornerback. Uh, and I think, they basically have a box safety in Jason Taylor, a rangy free safety in Kendall Daniels who can, who can play in that cover one scheme. And you have your twitchy nickelback Thomas Harper, who's like your Swiss army knife. Um, there's not much depth, you know, so if anyone gets hurt, this could, this is probably go downhill. Um, but I do think this is going to be a pretty good unit, despite the fact that they, they lost quite a, quite a few players to transfer in, in the NFL draft. So. Yeah, no, I, I like that pick there. I'll have some thoughts on, on them. We'll get to them in a minute. Um, okay, so for number three, I have Kansas State. Um, I think Brents and Boydo are the best cornerback tandem in the Big 12 and will be this year, and both kind of came out of nowhere last year. I would expect both to take a step forward this year and continue to improve. Throw in graduate transfer Josh Hayes, who took a lot of snaps at North Dakota State and Virginia, and you add a third guy with a lot of experience. I that is a I don't know of a better three deep at corner that I can think of that I feel really good about in the Big Twelve than those three. Um, you're replacing a lot of snaps at safety. Four seniors are gone. Twenty three hundred snaps total. You bring in Sean Robinson, as you mentioned, former Missouri transfer, former TCU quarterback. He toured four games last year before he got hurt. Um, they made a lot of wholesale changes on the defense at Missouri. We'll see. You got snaps from TJ Smith and, and, and strong. Like I have concerns about Kansas state at safety. I do, but the, the corners, as you mentioned, if your corners are good, the safeties can be a little, eh. uh, and I, I do like what they have at linebacker with Kansas state, which I'm, I'm letting kind of impact my opinion here. Like I, I like the linebacker situation. I think that can help in, in pass coverage. So I have Kansas State number three. I just I think I think at corner that might be the best cornerback unit in the Big Twelve with what they have. Okay. Uh Joe, number four. Well, I just want to say that I think I figured out Adam's rankings is that if you have a corner or a safety that's six three or taller, you're <laughs> probably pretty high on the list. Guilty. Um guilty. So I've I'm figuring that out. <laughs> yeah. Um I have I have Oklahoma State here. Uh, you know, Phil, you and I kind of talked about earlier where, you know, there's not a ton of starting talent returning. I mean, I agree with Adam that Jason Taylor is a phenomenal player. I think that when you needed a big play last year, he was kind of that guy that was doing it. 
Now, obviously, losing the you know four guys that we all know is going to hurt. But yeah, we you know as we've talked about, you've already mentioned there's so many guys coming back that showed plenty of potential. Um, and you know, a guy that uh, Thomas Harper is one that's been around for a while. So I think that people just on the surface might see, Oh, they got one guy that's a returning starter and think that they're going to take a step back. But with all the talent they have returning, um, you mentioned Kendall Daniels and then bringing Derek Mason in to run the defense. Uh, I think that you're not going to see too much of a drop off, even if you have that returning starting talent. Uh, I have, uh, OU at four, um, I think, you know, top to bottom, this is probably the, the most steady unit in the league, I would say. Um, I think, so Bill definitely jumps off the page. I mean, he's an explosive athlete. I watched him in high school. He went to Den Ryan, uh, you know, crazy athlete. But I thought he was kind of underwhelming last year. I know he didn't play a whole lot. He's kind of playing like a nickel position. They're moving him around. Um, and they, you know, I think they've been bouncing him around a little bit. Um you know, I think at this point he's more of an athlete than like a football player, like an instinctual football player. So I think there's some growth there. The talent, certainly like the raw athleticism is certainly there, but um, you know, like I know Woody Washington has a lot of snaps, DJ Graham, like a lot of these players are pretty good players. Um, Key Lawrence was someone that I think people were really hopeful coming in from Tennessee last year. Uh, Again, I just kind of underwhelmed overall with, with the unit, but I think top to bottom, there's not really like a, like most of these units we've already talked about have like really, really talented players and like huge holes or huge marks. I don't really see that with Oklahoma. Like, I think it's pretty good unit from top to bottom, but I, I feel like it, uh, unless Billy Bowman takes that next step, I don't see like a, like a top, like a, a, a top, or an all big 12 caliber player in the secondary. Uh, like let's say top two teams, maybe third team or uh, honorable mention, something like that. But with that being said, collectively together, when you add up all, you know, pretty good players, I think that's a, that's a really, really good unit and certainly don't blame you guys for ranking them number one for sure. So. AKA what he really means is that none of them are six, three or taller. So that's why they're part of the True. And Billy Bowman's like what five, five nine. So he's, or 5'10", like he's really short, so he's out. So, sorry, Billy, if you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, okay, so number four, I have Texas. I mean, you guys have covered pretty much everything. Uh, with Jason Jameson back at corner, Anthony Cook, the Ryan Watts transfer, I think is really good. Um, I, Jade Barron, I don't know if you, I don't remember you guys talking about him, who's supposed to be in the star position. Um, I remember him coming out of high school. I remember the recruitment of him. I have a weird thing about remembering DBs who I wanted to go to Oklahoma state and then went to the Texas instead. Uh, mostly cause they enjoyed not developing. Maybe will now cause Herman's gone. Um, I, I like him. I liked him out of high school. Um, I'm really interested to see what kind of development he makes this year. And I think that's the biggest thing for Texas is the defense defense last year had major issues, both with, you know, coaching decisions and, these guys were just massively underdeveloped during Tom Herman's era. If this coaching staff is what we think that it's supposed to be based off of their history and acumen, like they should all take a step and get better this year. And like the defensive lines, the issue at Texas, not necessarily the backfield. I like this unit. Uh, I, I got the safeties are kind of, as you mentioned, Adam, like we'll see, 
But I, I like it as a unit. I really like Deshaun Jameson. I really like Deshaun Jameson. Like, if you've got a guy I think is going to be a just a pain in the ass at corner, like, I'm going to like your unit in the backfield. So I have Texas at four, which is the lowest of everybody. So I guess I'm I'm the Texas hater, which is fine. I will wear that badge. They're Lays leaving. Down, baby. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> 15-yard penalty at the uh, added on to the first kickoff of the season. Uh, number five, Joe, who do you got? Uh, I have Kansas State here. You know, I, I don't really have anything much to add. I'm disappointed I don't get to talk about Deuce Vaughn for a whole podcast, but, you know, <laughs> whatever, I'll let it slide. Um, I, yeah, I don't have a ton to add. I, I really like the corners that we've talked about already. Uh, I just have concerns about the safety play. Um, obviously we mentioned, you know, if you have good corners, average safety play will do, but I just don't know what we're going to get from that group. Um, and I, you know, I think that they have all, you know, a lot to prove on that back end there, but that's kind of where Kansas state thrives is when people are kind of doubting them. They're not really sure. Um, and then I'm just going to say Deuce Vaughn's name one more time, just for fun. (laughs) Uh, that's good. Uh, We're on five, right? Uh, yes, we are. Okay, so I'm going to go kind of interesting uh, that uh, this is the the first time they've been mentioned, but I'm going to go with Baylor Um, and certainly an interesting unit. I don't think that this was really the strength necessarily, uh, or I guess I think the problem with Baylor is, is they've they've certainly been lacking in like, uh, like, I don't want to say quality cornerback play, but it's just like. Like they've just been like kind of holding on. I feel like they've had such good play at the safety level and linebacker and up front that I probably, I think it's kind of made up for, for, for lack of uh, um, better quality play at cornerback. A lot of questions. Um, you know, obviously Jalen Petrie leaving leaves like a massive vacancy or void. Um, oddly enough, I, I believe Lorando Johnson is the player that's going to take his place. Um, and He's an interesting player because he's kind of a like kind of a hybrid role, but a little bit different and and uh, than Petrie. I think he's probably a little bit less explosive, but a little bit more like like uh, like smaller and squatty. Uh, I actually watched him in high school. He's from Lancaster. He's a good player, like high three end uh, star player. He's going to be a good player. I don't know. He's going to be a different player than Petrie though, because Petrie was like a Eric Stryker slash. Troy Palomalu mix somehow. And I, you know, he doesn't necessarily have that skill set, but he, he brings some other things to the table. So I, I think basically it's a pretty pedestrian unit with some really young players that have some upside that we don't really know much about. Um, but at the end of the day, Baylor's probably going to be really, really good defensively because their front, you know, the front six or, uh, or so is going to be so good that their back end doesn't need to be as good. Um, so fifth ranked unit but certainly a quality unit overall just because of the other, uh, the other units. And, and who knows, they may break in some new starters and be pretty legit. Um, but I don't see anything popping off the page. Like their high potential players, in my opinion, are st- like that aren't, we don't know about are still in the front six <laughs> other than LaRondo Johnson. So, uh, so I have five at, or I have Baylor at five. So Adam, how does it feel to be the biggest Texas and Baylor fan? here on the show <laughs> that that's that feels awful like i've <laughs> uh, that's the worst i've felt in a long time so thank you for bringing that up uh well since you're the first one to to name a team i will also be the first one to name a team i actually have texas tech here at number five i like what they have 
with Adrian Taylor Demerson. Um, and I think he can make a valid case for first team defensive back at the end of the year, uh, depending upon how he plays this year. Um, I like the addition of, of Keon Blankenbaker from Wyoming. He started 27 games for, for the Cowboys there. Uh, that was a good defense at Wyoming. Obviously, they're playing in the Mountain West, very different, but that was a good defense. It was a good uh, passing defense. I think he will transition to Texas Tech well. At corner, there's three guys, I think, that are all solid, and Rashad Williams, Adrian Fry, and Malik Dunlap, who, if he can stay healthy, because he missed six games in Big 12 play last year due to injury, but they had a lot of expectation for him. You combine those three, that's another solid three cornerbacks that you feel like you can rotate in and out. And my thing with cornerbacks is, do you, do you have, if you've got one really good one, and I think they do in Rashad Williams, then I feel good about you. If you've got a depth of three, so you've got two guys you trust and one guy you can fill in when you need him, then I, I feel really good about your cornerback spot. So they've got a really good safety. Um, they've got three corners I like, and they've got an addition at safety at the transfer portal that I think's could be really good in the Big 12, kind of surprise some people. Um, that's why I have Texas Tech at five. I, I think this could be a sneaky good defensive backfield this year. I like it. I'm feeling that, feeling that vibe. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Joe, who do you have at six? Six, I have uh, Baylor. Phil and I kind of talked about this before. Is You, know, you lose, and Adam also mentioned this, that losing Jalen Petrie obviously is going to hurt. That's like, you can't, you're almost like devaluing Petrie if you just say like, oh, they'll be fine without him. I think also you have Dave Aranda there and he knows what he's doing, uh, you know, kind of similar to some of these other teams. Uh, and, you know, there's the, the cupboard's not bare with the talent that they have back. Um, and so that for that reason, I, I feel fairly confident in what they're able to do. I just think that you're going to take a little bit of a step back when you lose such a versatile player um, in Jalen Petrie. And then obviously losing JT Woods is going to hurt as well. You guys uh- just wait till my Baylor spot comes. It's <clears throat> we'll be there in a little while. I was about to say, do we need to be patient or? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. You guys are much higher than I am. Uh, all right, Adam, who do you have at six? I have TCU, and I legitimately like struggled with them from like two on, because um, I guess they have the potential to be like the best secondary in the league, but. I'm not necessarily so I believe it was CJ Caesar that basically came in for Noah Daniels for the most part. And like, I think he's fine. Like they, they're probably going to be okay at cornerback because you've got Tomlinson on, you know, on one side and then this Noah Daniels healthy and Tomlinson on the field is the best duo probably in the league at corner, but Noah Daniels can stay healthy and CJ Caesar is not, Noah Daniels when he's healthy. So it's like, you're kind of like, you know, kind of going back and forth. Um, I believe it's, is it Mark Barry that came from Colorado? You know, I don't, he's, I don't know much about him because he's, he's kind of somewhat of an unknown. Uh, like he was at Colorado, but he doesn't have much production um, and, you know, didn't play all that much. So, I, you know, I, I'm a little bit uncertain about him. Maybe there's, maybe I'm missing the mark there. Um, but I, I feel more confident with the units, including Baylor, who probably has more questions than TCU, um, just from the fact that you're talking about more experienced players um, that that can stay on the field and probably more talented players. Like, I don't necessarily know 
TCU is very talented at corner. I'm not, I'm a little bit concerned about safety for sure, but I know that we've talked about this many times that if you have good corners, you probably gonna have good sake secondary. I don't know if everyone can be on the field for TCU. So I'm going to, I'm going to roll with them at six. So that's why. I think your point of having trouble with them of two through six, like I feel like one through six, if you told me any of those teams finished with the best secondary this year, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be that surprised because yeah. all of them have a strength to them. All of them have some question marks. And like, that's how I feel with, with my one through six, like I, I, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 are, are all down there at the bottom. But one through six, if you told me at the end of the year that any of those was the best defensive backfield, I, I, I would probably be, com- I would say, okay, I, I, I'll ride with that. Uh, and at six, I have Oklahoma State. Um, Adam, for a lot of the same reasons you did, one of the things about OSU that's, that's cracked me up, um, pretty much since 2019, I feel like every year, um, and I hate I hate to knock Ian, but he's the one who comes to mind, uh, who did a great job with us here when we did uh, pass catcher uh, uh, rankings. But every year it would be everyone would be like, well, they lost uh, first. They lost AJ Green at corner. There's no way that anyone's going to step up and play as well as a, as a cover corner as he did. And then Rodarius Williams is like, well, Rodarius Williams is gone. No one's going to step up and play as well as he did. Well, and then Christian Holmes did, and Christian Holmes stepped. And every year they've had somebody step up into that lock them down on the island corner. And every year they needed somebody, and someone has done it and done a really dang good job. All that is leading to. I don't care. I try not to be biased about Oklahoma State, but one of the most potentially biased things that I will say is that Tim Duffy and Hammerschmidt, the cornerback and safety coach at Oklahoma State, are two of the most underrated defensive back coaches in the country. They do an incredible job of evaluating the kinds of athletes that they want to recruit, getting talented guys in, safety and corner, and developing them because OSU continues to put out solid cornerbacks. They're replacing both with Muhammad and Corey Black this year. One of them is going to step up and be awesome. I I know I think more preseason polls and teams have leaned towards Jabbar Muhammad. I lean more towards Corey Black, but I think both are going to be solid. And at safety, like Thomas Harvard's played. Jason Taylor's played a lot of football. He has made so many big plays, both uh, safety and on special teams. Like we'll see how he does being just the full time starter. But like it's not like there's not experience. There's not a ton of starting experience. But these guys have all played snaps. Kendall Daniels is a wild card if he's what we think he is. I think there's going to be growing pains for this unit. That's why I have them at six and not a little bit higher. But I think by the end of the year, I'll throw in, it's not just that you have a new defensive coordinator, it's a defensive coordinator whose background is in coaching defensive backs. So that just certainly doesn't hurt you. I just, I think with coaching, with the way they've recruited at this position group uh, in both safety and corner and the proof in the pudding of the development here. Like I think OSU is going to be fine. They won't be quite as good at last year in, in game one, but I think this is a unit that's going to be good and it's going to get better throughout the year. Uh, Joe, number seven. Seven, I have Texas Tech. Uh, I like a lot of the guys that Phil, that you mentioned. I think Rashad Williams is really fun to watch. He was tested quite a bit last year. Uh, Dadrian Taylor Demerson is another guy that was very productive for them. And I think, you know, Adrian Fry has been there for a while. They lose a couple guys that obviously that hurts, but this is also a group that finished last in terms of EPA against the pass and, uh, or excuse me, towards the bottom 10, I believe in the country. And that's like, that's just really concerning. Um, especially with a lot of the offenses that you're going to face, a lot of the passing attacks that you're going to face. There's talent there, but again, it just comes down to, can this unit perform 
well together uh, cohesively. You know, I, I like some of the talent that they have individuals, but as a group, I'm just not sure uh, if they can put it together, if they can, then I think that we're talking about a group that's going to be higher up on this list. But for now, I just I need to see it before I believe it. So I'm going to go with uh, Iowa State. And uh, th- I feel like this is kind of a, more of a, a, a vote, like a blind vote, just saying they're probably going to figure it out <laughs> because they're a great you know generally have a great defensive culture and and all that stuff i i think the the move of anthony johnson is going to be interesting so it's kind of like it kind of reminds me of like eyes uh, greg eyesworth where you know he basically shifted positions i think early on in his career and you know undersized 511 you know 195 200 pounds moves from from corner to this and then they just get this crazy high functioning play Iowa state does out of, out of these like hybrid safeties somehow they, they keep finding them. Um, so I don't think there's really anyone that stands out. I believe they're projected cornerbacks or miles purchase and TJ Tampa, according to what I'm looking at on from Phil Steele. Uh, and I do, I, you know, I, I, I do have some reservations in terms of just the overall talent level, but I feel pretty confident that they're going to figure it out. Uh, I do think that this is kind of where the drop-off is though. Like we talked about the six and like that we talked about has like some really, really strong upside players. Not saying that that doesn't exist here, but it's a little bit harder to see um, more so than, um, than any of the teams that we previously talked about. So um, probably this is going to be a pretty good defense, especially when you got a guy like Will McDonald up front, that's going to be wrecking havoc. But, uh, but again, you're talking about sheer units uh, uh, individually, um, you know, certainly I knock them back a little bit more from the top six. So. All right. Uh, this might be perceived as a hot take. I wanted to put them higher, but I, I this is as high as I could put them. Um, I have Kansas. Yes. I I really like Kenny Logan. I really like Kenny Logan, and I think he's going to be fantastic for Kansas this year. Here's the thing. When we did our transfer portal winners and losers, we talked about Kansas as the biggest winner. You bring in Craig Young, who's a safety, from Ohio State. He's got three years left. 132 snaps, 50, sorry, 132 snaps, 15 tackles. He's, he's played well. Jarrett Paul, sort of 12 of 13 games at corner, comes in from Eastern Michigan. Marvin Grant, transferred from Purdue, started 13 games last year. I really like what they have added in the defensive backfield. Kansas didn't lose from to the portal anything that they were not, that they were like sad to lose. Everything they brought in, especially in the defensive backfield, has immediately improved that entire unit for Kansas. I have some questions about corner. But I really like what they did there. I really like Kenny Logan. I have Kansas here, and I'm sorry to the teams that have not been named by me yet. You'll get named here in a minute. Uh, and there's not a lot of separation between probably seven, eight, nine for me, ten. Sorry, but I just I like I really like Kansas here because I I, I like what some of the other teams have at their position groups. But I really like Kenny Logan a lot, and he's so much of an X factor for me that I. I put had to put them right here. All right, no one's no one's telling me I'm an idiot, so this is good. I'm feeling. I yeah. like it. I like I like uh, I like the pick. I like the pick. I'm. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I think. And uh, just a quick comment on the portal, like the was an opportunity to like eliminate historical barriers. You know, like it's it's kind of in it's you. It used to be like JUCO. You know, like Kansas State built their program on JUCO, and like. 
the transfer portal is the modern day Juco where it's like, you know, Candace can't go out and recruit traditional kids uh, that are, you know, basically the Baylors and Oklahoma States and the, they're all doing the, Hey, we're going to go just like recruit really good athletes and try to turn them into football players. So that's one strategy. And then you got kind of the lower tier that are like, all right, we're going to scoop up all the, the best talent we can in the portal. And, and, you know, to their, to their credit, they did a hell of a job this, this off season. So, uh, so I like the pick. I think it's, I think it's a good one. So. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> just pat myself on the back. Uh, Joe, who do you have at number eight, sir? <laughs> I have Kansas. I'm going to piggyback off of that. I just, when when your safety eight leads the team in tackles, that's kind of a problem, honestly. (laughs) I don't know. That it is. It's not, it's not a good reflection of the rest of the defense. (laughs) Yeah. At 110. I mean, I'm not saying Kenny Logan's bad, but that that's really my only comment is that 110 tackles is too much for a safety. He needed the help. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he brought so many safeties in. You, you needed, he needed some help because you know linebacker. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I I will end the suspense. Um, I also have Kansas at eight. Nice. Um, and I thought that I was going to be going out of limb, but here I've, I I feel like I'm like just the person that's piggybacking off everyone else. <laughs> I think so. I agree that like they're. Kenny Logan, I think, is a good player. Like, I remember uh, – and, and have in mind that this is based off of, like, watching him in depth for, like, two games, right? So take this for what it's worth. But he does have a lot of production because he's relatively on a bad defense uh, from last year. But they have so much movement <laughs> in the portal coming in. It's it's insane. Uh, so at the end of the day, like, if you're looking at upside, I mean, West Virginia is kind of in the same boat. Uh, to a certain extent in terms of just activity. Uh, it's like a revolving door. But I think if you look top to bottom, I think the Kansas players, the Kansas portal additions, in addition to Kenny Logan, have more upside than than the alternative. And I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what, what Kansas looks like on defense this year. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be good, but I do have a lot of faith in DJ Elliott, who's their uh, – who's their defensive coordinator. I think he's a good defensive coordinator. So we'll see what happens. But I, I like, I like Kansas today uh, with not a lot of upside to move to seven. Uh, not really prepared to go there. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but a lot of stuff that, that would indicate that this could be a respectable secondary. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Hey, so at this point, Kansas will take any unit on the field that's considered respectable. And if quarterback is as good as we hope it will be, then that might give them two. And when's the last time you could say there's two respectable units on the field for Kansas football? I mean, in a while, it's been a while that, that might equal the three wins. We think they'll, they'll wait. Not. I just remember DJ Elliott went to temple. Uh, so let's see. DJ Elliott was the former defensive coordinator. I'm an idiot. So uh, disregard that. <laughs> I don't know who their defensive coordinator is now. He was the DJ Elliott was the uh, defensive coordinator under Les Miles. Brian Borland. I think that's right. He must have come over. Did he come over from Buffalo with yes with Leopold? Yeah, yeah. Has he he brought most of his? I think he brought both both coordinators. I know I should know all these things, but folks, it's a lot. Um, it's it's hard to keep up with the. Give me a break. It's hard to keep up with the the Kansas staff, okay, when it turns over every two or three years. <laughs> uh, challenge. Okay, at number eight, uh, this is where I have Iowa State. Uh, look, 
<laughs> you guys lost Ishim Young, Datron Young, Craig McDonald. They lost a lot. Um, as you mentioned, Anthony Johnson moving to safety. I like Bro Frailer at, at safety as well. Uh, so I think you've got two guys that I'm, I think will be a lot of fun at safety. Man, I'm, I know that Miles Purchase and TJ Tamper are the projected starters. Like, last check, there was Tavon Kyle and a converted wide receiver also battling for the starting spots. Like, I, they should have two pretty interesting safeties. Um, we'll see if if Malik Verdon, who I believe uh, was called the MVP of spring practice, which, sure. Uh, and not to mention, like, you lost two starting linebackers. And I, I really think Orion Vance is going to have a, a step-up year for, for Iowa State this year at linebacker. But you lose so much at linebacker. You lose so much in your secondary. I just have a lot of questions for Iowa State that I, I've got to see something for them before I, I can move them up higher on this list. All right, we're down to the bottom two. Uh, if you're keeping track at home. You, you should know who we 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 have here. If if anyone's still listening, <laughs> <laughs> they they get about halfway and they're like, "Bah!" All right, Joe, number nine, who you got? I have Iowa State. Uh, I I've been a big fan of Anthony Johnson. I'm also intrigued to see what he can do at a new position. It, it's tough because I feel like Iowa State is just you know I think everybody kind of just thinks they're this gimmick defense that you know, it just makes things different, um, which there's some truth to that, but I think they also just do, they're really good at what they do. Um, but the secondary I think is going to need some time to figure things out. Uh, kind of just repeating everything you guys have basically said. It's just, there's, there's some potential there, but yeah, it's just not a group that I feel super confident in, uh, especially coming into the season. And I don't know, maybe, that's, that's a good thing for Iowa State because when they return nearly their entire roster, they only get seven wins. So I don't know. It's kind of like the Kansas State thing. It's like they're better off when people don't believe in them and then they just overachieve. Whereas when everybody expects them to make it to the Big 12 championship, they don't even get close. So I, I think that that's a group that's going to need some time to figure things out, especially with who they lose. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't. I couldn't see moving them any higher than seventh or eighth maybe one thing that uh i forgot to mention and i don't think i heard you guys mention this too ashim young transferred to old miss that was such a huge loss for uh like i think he was i remember when i think it was when he was a freshman i think it was two seasons ago uh he came i think he was like was he like freshman of the year is that even an award and we were like oh damn like he's the next guy and then we then he was like he was pretty damn good last year and then with with all of, with with Anthony Johnson and him and Young coming back, like I think that bolsters a really strong secondary. But with him gone, it's like it's just there's a lot of youth behind there, and I think that that's that's going to be tough to overcome. So I, I think him probably one of the most impactful secondary transfers in the Big Twelve was Ashim Young, in my opinion. So yeah, I think I have them much higher if Young is coming back. I don't know if I'm putting them in the top tier, but. Yeah, young returning definitely adds uh, more, I guess, you know, scheme versatility that they can utilize different guys. You know, if they want Johnson to play safety, they could still do that with young back. But 
now you're kind of forced to put Johnson back there because Young is gone. And, you know, we mentioned Eisworth is gone too. But if Young comes back, this is a very different group. No doubt. I would have them ahead of Kansas if he was back. Um, all right. What an honor, man. <laughs> Just rave reviews. Uh, Adam, who do you have at nine? Uh, I have, uh, I have Texas tech. Um, and I, I pretty much, I don't really have much to add from what Philip had, uh, you know, you had earlier, um, you know, certainly a good group. Um, it's kind of inverted of all the other units where most of their experience and talent is coming back on, you know, kind of on the safety side versus, uh, versus the the cornerbacks, uh, I am interested. Uh, I don't I don't think that they're overly talented in the secondary because ultimately they had a, a big talent gap that they had to overcome. Uh, but I am interested to see what what Tim DeRuiter De can do at, as defensive coordinator, who's made some pretty significant turnarounds in his career. Um, specifically, I think it was the one that was it Cal. I'm not sure if it was Oregon or Cal, but basically like cut their points per game almost in half. Uh, I don't think that that's going to happen at Texas Tech specifically, but I think that uh, that could play a pretty big impact. Uh, and I think that kind of has an impact on this discussion too, because we're going to, we're gauging the units, but also the coaching, you know, could influence, you know, coaching could take an average unit and make them look really good, you know, at the same, the same, uh, same token there. So n- nothing, nothing like crazy in terms of, you know, I know waters and, and uh, they've got, I think we're shocked. Rod Williams is is a, is a experienced corner, but I don't know if he's going to start. They've got a few guys they're looking at cornerback. Um, from my perspective, nothing jumps off the page in terms of overly talented players. I, I was more excited about Kansas's players, to be honest with you, and that's not necessarily a slight to Texas Tech. It's probably more of boosting Kansas, uh, but um, but nonetheless, that's that's how I've got at nine Texas Tech. All right, I mentioned you'd hear him later on. Um, this is where I have Baylor. Look, I, I didn't love their secondary last year, especially corner. You Your safety was your strength. You bring back Christian Morgan, but everyone else is gone. They're talented at safety, but they are young. You bring back Al Wal- uh, Walcott at corner. I, I just – this wasn't a great unit last year. It was bolstered so much by the defensive line, the linebacking core. Like, your defensive line is going to be so good that maybe that, that – you know, the secondary doesn't have to do anything because they just hit the quarterback all the time. But I, I you're going to have to prove to me that this unit is improved over last year, which I think wasn't awesome. And you lost a lot of the strength from what helped you back there. Like, I'm not saying other people can't step up and, and be better, but that's a, it's a big ask. And so I... Like I said, I need to see something from Iowa State. I've really got to see something from Baylor. And I, and I need to see Baylor find a corner who scares me like honestly because i i didn't see that last year from any of them they gave up way too many big plays they got turned around way too often i I need to see some some big development for baylor especially without petrie there like he was he was such a cheat code for that defense especially for the backfield and he let them get away with some poor defensive back play so I this is why baylor low we'll see what they do they'll probably prove me wrong but i'm i'm okay being wrong Baylor looked really good against Kansas. Oklahoma State. No. Sorry, I cut you off. Baylor <laughs> below Kansas. I like it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what would you say, Joe? I cut you off. Hey, Baylor's secondary was uh, Spencer Sanders' favorite target in the Big 12 championship game. So <laughs> Apparently, they can catch. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, hey, you know, Baylor needs wide receivers this year, so maybe they can they can move. Yeah. <clears throat> Playing both ways. Uh, okay, boys, you know, we are going to have a consensus here. We are going to have one team that we all have in the same spot here at the bottom. Uh, Joe, why do you have West Virginia in last place? Yeah, I'm. I, I was a little upset with West Virginia because uh, and Kansas because it's like you know I, the last couple of years it's like I, I know who's going to be at the bottom and then it's just working up from there. But uh, now apparently I have to like Kansas, so now I have to, to actually work for the bottom spot. Uh, I just think that they lose so much, and last year wasn't exactly inspiring in terms of like a talented group that you know kind of like you said before nobody really puts fear into you when you're playing West Virginia and they lost a lot of guys, whether that's graduation NFL or the transfer portal really hurt them at key positions. So that's, that's going to be tough, but I, I just don't see anybody on there that I'm like, Oh, that's, that's a dude. That's going to be a guy that's really going to like a guaranteed going to, you know, put fear in an opposing offense. Now, Adam mentioned before, there's some potential with this group, so I think I like that, but I not enough to put them higher than anybody else on this list. Yeah, I mean, I I think I don't have much to add. I would just say I do like the way that they are adding players to their roster. I mean, I think overall West Virginia has done a really nice job of like like upgrading the talent threshold across the board. Um, you know, I, I I think that they they kind of have added a slew of like FCS caliber talent secondary, which, which is fine. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's good players from FCS and some of them uh, could be, uh, could be good. I, I specifically think, um, I believe it's uh, most of them might be backups, but Jazeer Cox and Mar- Marcus Floyd are coming from uh, the FCS level level. And there's just, there's no experience. Um, there's, I think it was, was it Charles Woods that started like a handful of games last year and that's it. So they have like basically very little starting experience. And I know that like, uh, you know, I boosted up OSU because they don't have a lot of starting experience and they, but as far as I know, the, a lot of these players don't know, don't have a whole lot of snaps either. So it's not just starting experience. Um, despite all of that, I'm not sure the talent level is there. So like, even if there was like an upside to see there, like for example, with, with Iowa state, like I see some upside at cornerback and they don't have necessarily uh, a whole lot of experience under their belt. I'm not sure I see that at West, West, West Virginia. So that was kind of the main thing that caused me of like inexperience and lack of upside is a bad combo, I think in general. And for that reason, I ranked them 10, unfortunately. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you guys. Like I, <clears throat> I know Charles Woods was a preseason big 12 first team. Uh, we did not vote him there. Uh, I, I, he could be really good, you know, could be a starter this year for them. I And look, West Virginia typically has a good defense, but the strength of their defense is typically the defensive line. Um, I, I just have too many questions. Uh, yeah, you know, the transfers, they, they could be nice. McCormick could be nice. Uh, Rashad Ajayi uh, from Colorado State. I'm probably mispronouncing it. I don't care. Could be nice, but they just they lost so much to the transfer portal across the board on defense and in the secondary. Like the defensive line should be good. The linebackers got more depth. From the West Virginia people I've talked to, like there's this secondary is a problem and scary. 
Um, like we, there's a reason they're tenth, and and I don't. I'm not trying to like sit here and be like they're they're. I just, but they're not. I don't. I have too many questions. Like I just I, show me. Prove to me, like any West Virginia fan who's like, no, they're going to be way better than you think. Like you, you have to sell me on something other than just like, well, I think so and so, and they said this about spring ball. I'm like, okay, like I just, I'm with you guys. I don't know what else to say. Like they just, I, I have the least amount of faith in West Virginia of everybody on this list. It will be interesting to see how it works out though, because like basically, they're almost 75 percent of their starting secondary could be transfers from FCS because if correct me if I'm wrong but I think Charles Woods came from like like Indiana State or Illinois State or something like that and they have a few other transfers from the FCS level too which I think it'll be interesting to see how it works out because like it might be like a like an avenue of talent that hasn't been like completely exhausted by the bigger programs um and 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 you know I think Charles Woods definitely will be interesting to see I, I'm not I didn't even know he was voted first team big 12 that's news to me uh that sounds like an unbelievable reach uh i i would not even have him like honorable mention probably uh so that's that's wild to me but i am fascinated to see how that works out and i, I think neil brown's a good coach for the most part and I, I i applaud him for trying unique strategy nonetheless so hold on i'm now going to confirm this because i'm pretty sure that yep charles woods first team preseason 2022 yeah i I don't know how he what? made that jump. I don't know how he made that jump. He was honorable men. He wasn't even honorable mention last year, from what I could tell. But I'm looking at 2022 preseason. All, all so is it Tomlinson and him for first team? It's low. It's just DB. So it's not you don't. It's not corner safety. It's just DB. So it's Kenny Logan, Julius Brents, Jason Taylor, Hodges Tomlinson, and Charles Woods. Wow. There's like maybe five, yeah. six, seven corners that I would absolutely take in front of. Well, uh, in front of him it doesn't have to be corner so, like uh, there are other defensive backs in the big 12 that i would put over him we put in uh dadrian taylor demerson that's who i had like i I think he's gonna be really good at safety i threw him like i just i'm glad he got on the list like i don't think he'll be there at the end of the year I, it's i don't know wow yeah i'm not sure what to say about that uh um other than I disagree. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was interesting. That's a no so, for me. It's a no for yeah. me. All right, guys, now that we've, we've wrapped this up, uh, any general thoughts or any, anything when you were putting your list together that maybe stuck out to you the most or surprised you the most? Uh, I almost added the four new big 12 teams in here just for fun. <laughs> Cause this list is just going to get longer and longer. Okay. Well, um, now, now that you've teased that, now you have to now you have to rank them in in the uh just the four new ones yeah uh so i'll probably go ucf is probably the best one coming in um and then it's tough between byu's last i think they have the plenty of talent returning and starting talent returning but nobody that's like it, you know that top tier guy uh i'll probably go cincinnati just because they have the track record and then houston I think is going to be a lot better, uh, but I think all four new teams would probably be above maybe my seven through 10. If I'm putting them all in there, I think they're super talented this year. I mean, yeah. honestly, all four, at least, at least from last year's perspective, produce pretty good defense uh, defenses for the most part, you know? So mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a new age in big 12 football when, uh, you know, five years ago, that would be a, a little bit of a different discussion probably. <laughs> So, be the big 16 before we know it. 
Right, right. Uh, I, I, uh, this is going to sound really stupid, uh, and everyone's going to make fun of me for it, which is fine. It's nothing new. Um, I think the takeaway that I had was that I don't know if I've seen like this caliber of talent that Texas has. Um, like their wide receiver talent is like pretty crazy good. And the fact that they've got a few, uh, you know, legit cornerbacks is like generally pretty good. They've still got a lot of holes. I still don't necessarily think that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're not, there's not a like uh, number one, like a, a clear number one team in the big 12. So I still wouldn't like uh, anoint them to that, but, uh, but it will be interesting. You know, a lot will hinge on the quarterback for Texas. Um, and, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big Quinn Ewers fan. Uh, I've been watching him for a long time. He lives down the went to the high school down the road for me and all that. My wife went to South Lake Carroll. So we've been following him for a long time and I'm not a huge, like, I'm not like all in on him, but he is probably going to be a pretty good quarterback in the league mixed with some of the stuff that they've got going on at the skill position. And then this, the things that they have coming down the pipeline at an offensive line are certainly exciting. So, you know, Texas isn't back, but they could be back later. You said Texas is back here in this episode. Don't you backtrack <laughs> yeah. now? You said it a lot, Adam. I, you were you were horns up while we were horns down. So I don't Texas. know what's going on over there. A- Adam Lunt, Secret Orange Blood, subscribe. Hey, <laughs> hey, as long as hey, they can be back in 2024 or whatever. I don't care. That's fine. Go be back <laughs> or whatever. 2025. <laughs> Just wait a few years. Give You're us right. uh, and then and then go be back all you want. That's fine. So, but that, that was something that stood out to me. I'm trying to think too, of like, I, I get the feeling that, uh, that like the, the weird thing for me would be that like the, there's, there may be like five teams. Like most people think that there may be like two or three teams. I feel like that group is solid five at the top of the list, uh, in terms of like who's, who has a chance to be in Arlington. And I don't necessarily think that I would differentiate any of them like Kansas state, Texas, OSU, OU and Baylor to me, are like a hair, like, like late, really, really similar in terms of strengths, weaknesses, all that stuff. And any two of them could go to the big 12 title game. I think I'm, I think Kansas state's a really, really good football team top to bottom. And uh, I think a lot of times people will leave them out of that discussion just because they're Kansas state. I think they're brilliant. I, I would almost put them in front of Texas. And I just talked up Texas like crazy. So I, I'm a big Kansas state believer. That was the second observation. So Adam is taking Texas fans on an emotional roller coaster in one episode. <laughs> talked them up and then, and then threw them back down. So <laughs> you heard it here. Adam's predicting Texas versus Kansas state in the big total title game. That would be fun. I'd watch it. That would I be, would watch that. That too. would be interesting. I'm sorry. If you tell me we actually, we got a big total title with Bijan versus Deuce. Uh, uh, yeah I'd, I'd watch the crap out of that that would be awesome uh that is going to be the most interesting battle in the big 12 this year is those two for rb1 uh you guys have been awesome so so much adam do you have anything you want to plug uh no okay i have nothing to plug don't talk to me uh <laughs> texas is not back don't hate tweet me um and hopefully july ends sooner than later that's what i'll plug uh, stop being so hot <laughs> Uh, Joe, I know you do. You have a fantastic college football preview magazine. It is one of the ones that I use uh, along with 
few different others, but I have the digital copy. It's fantastic. Joe, where can everybody check that out as well as the rest of the wonderful work you do covering college football? Uh, you can just find me at Joe Broback. Um, all hateful comments can go to Adam. I, I don't really deal with that. Adam's my hate department. So uh, yeah, you can just find it there. All right, guys, you've been awesome. Thank you so much. This was a great time. Uh, I think this audio has actually recorded and should be good to go. So hopefully everyone is listening to this and not me angrily trying to re-edit just myself like last week. Uh, Thank you to everybody. We'll be back next week. What will be on that episode? I don't know because if I try and tell you, it won't happen. Podcast Network.